You know, the Bible tells us that there's going to be a time when God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That time is coming, but it's not here yet. You don't have to live very long and go through very much to understand that part of our experience as human beings is that there's suffering. Jesus made it abundantly clear when he told his disciples, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. In reading through scripture in the book of Acts, Acts is is one of, well, I guess if you can have favorites in the Bible... Acts certainly would be one of those books that I come to again and again and again as we see the acts of the Holy Spirit working through people and extending the gospel and carrying the message of Jesus Christ to the remotest parts of the world as we see men and women who suffer for the sake of the gospel, as we see churches planted. We see so much that God is doing in that book of Acts. One of the instances, Paul and Barnabas, they were kind of a a, a, a duo, a tag team, a dynamic duo, I guess you could say, who went about carrying the message of Christ across borders and into towns and villages and wherever they could find people who'd be willing to listen. And, and then they began to plant churches and then they began to go back and encourage those believers. And that's a beautiful thing, but not everybody was happy about it. In fact, wherever they went, it seemed that they faced opposition. Well, Acts chapter 14, it tells where Paul is going into the city of Lystra. And as Paul goes into this city and begins to preach the gospel, people begin to respond. God's doing miraculous things in Lystra. But while he's there, there's this group, matter of fact, a couple of groups that have gotten together from two other towns. And they come into Lystra and they begin to stir up the crowds and stir up trouble and and start passing rumors about Paul and Barnabas and trying to get them to turn their backs on Paul and Barnabas and turn their backs on this gospel that they're bringing. And they stirred up the crowd so much, in fact, that there was a a mini riot that took place and they grabbed hold of Paul since he was the spokesman and they stoned him. Uh, By stoning him means they, they they were throwing rocks at him and they dragged him out of town and they actually left him for dead outside the city well God wasn't finished with him yet and we're told that Paul miraculously revived from that and do you know what he did it says he went back into Lystra the city where he was stoned and he went to two other cities it tells us Iconium and Antioch by the way the two groups that came from the two towns that went into Lystra to stir up trouble, you know, well, you can guess where they came from, right? Iconium and Antioch. Here you have a man who, because of the gospel, 
was stoned nearly to death. And yet, when as soon as he was able to be revived and have enough strength and energy to go on, he went back into the very town where he was stoned and continued to preach the gospel. And in fact, he did more than that. He went back to the two towns from which the troublemakers came from and continued to preach the gospel there. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it tells us what Paul did in these cities. And it says he was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. In other words, between here and the kingdom, you're going to have a lot of trouble. In fact, the word tribulations, if you look it up in a Greek lexicon, you'll see that the word tribulations means that uh, someone is under pressure and in distress. Under pressure and in distress. And boy, that pretty much sums up suffering of all kinds, doesn't it? When you're suffering, you feel under pressure and in distress. And that doesn't matter what, I mean, college students, <laughs> uh, you know, it, when, they are, when they've got a big test coming up, when they feel, uh, you know, really that, that they're suffering, they're, they are suffering. If they're under pressure and in distress, that is the definition of suffering. But certainly what Jesus is talking about, what Paul is talking about, certainly much, much greater than that. But suffering is part of our human equation. We, we don't get out of this life without some measure of suffering. Every one of us faces it to some, some measure it might be greater, it might be lesser, but we all get it. Suffering is common to humanity, but we don't all suffer alike, and we don't all suffer for the same reasons. A few years ago, I began to listen to a pastor who was in Seattle. His name was Mark Driscoll. Some of you may have heard of him. He became quite popular, wrote a number of books. He, was pop he started uh, uh, the Gospel Coalition, the Acts 29, and he started... Churches Helping Churches, which was a ministry to try to, to help churches in areas, in Haiti especially, that were ravaged by earthquakes. And, and he, he really gained a lot of popularity, but there was something going on underneath. Um, there was a pride and arrogance that began to undermine his ministry. And he began to take it out on other people and began to almost be abusive of other people. And, and finally... Not only did his church fire him, uh, but the other churches, because there was one church and it was in many locations, Mars Hill was the church, and there were a number of Mars Hill churches, and that whole coalition dissolved, and some of those churches went on to, and became kind of independent and, and did their own thing, but some of them went away, and Mark Driscoll went away. And during his time away, he began to study from Scripture suffering. Now, let's be honest. And we'll see this in a moment. Some of our suffering comes from self-inflicted wounds. In fact, much of our suffering comes from self-inflicted wounds. And he began to realize that his suffering also was coming from self-inflicted wounds. But it was still suffering. He was under pressure. And he was in distress. And he went on later 
uh, to find a, a church that had closed in Scottsdale, Arizona. And he went in and with a team began to rebuild it. And he's re- rebuilding his ministry. And, you know, he follows in the footsteps of a lot of godly men and women in the past who've struggled. It may not have been pride. It may have been something else that tripped them up. But they've struggled and they've fallen. And they've suffered from self-inflicted wounds. And so he's not the first and he, he won't be the last. But I appreciate the wisdom that he gained through his suffering, even though it was self-inflicted. One of the things that he has uh, produced, and I want to share with you, I'm, I'm actually abbreviating, abbreviating his list a little bit, is as he was studying through the scriptures, one of the things he was looking for was the types of suffering that people faced. And actually, in your handout, I've got a list there, um, and you may want to write these down because you can refer back to them later. I can't spend a lot of time on this this morning. I've already cut this message in half, but I do want to at least give you what we've got here. There are different kinds of suffering. The first one is Adamic, and I put them all up on the screen here. Adamic suffering. What does that mean? Well, it comes, Adamic comes from Adam, and it goes directly back to the fall. And that is there's suffering that occurs in our lives because we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people and the people that we associate with are falling. And therefore, because of that, there's suffering that, that automatically comes to us. There's demonic suffering, and I don't think we have to guess at what this means. That means that Satan is actively working uh, against you, oppressing you. He is the father of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's up to no good at all, and he is opposed to us who stand for Christ. So there is that kind of suffering. Now, I want to caution you to be careful here. I was walking um, behind someone uh, a few years back, and they actually dropped a bag that they were holding in their hands. I don't think it was anything glass, anything. It was breakable, but they dropped the bag. And it's a frustrating thing. If you drop stuff, gravity then works against you and just pulls it on down to the floor. It, It happens with all of us. But her response was, Satan, quit that. And I'm looking around going, I didn't see him. Listen, we don't want to attribute everything under the sun to demonic suffering, okay? There is a real Satan and there are real demons and there is real demonic suffering. But let's not trivialize that. But we do need to understand we have an enemy. And especially those who are in Christ, there will be suffering because of the demonic. And listen, you don't even have to be in Christ to suffer because of it. Go back and look throughout the pages of Scripture, and you will find that there are people who have been possessed by demons. We see it in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in the book of Acts. We don't see it much here, although I think it's more prevalent than the news media would attribute it to. Many of these acts that are being done uh, and attributed to all kinds of other causes come straight from this demonic influence. But we certainly see it throughout the world. There's victim suffering that means that someone has done something to you and and all of us face this i think from time to time a word that's been spoken an action that's been taken that has hurt you 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 are the victim of that and so there's suffering that comes to victims there's collective suffering that is you suffer as part of a group and we certainly see this um, in other countries but we also see it here Uh, there are minorities who suffer simply because of the group that they belong to They didn't ask for that. They didn't do anything to earn it. But because they're part of that group, they do face some measure of suffering, some measure of oppression that comes to them. 
um, as you travel throughout the world, if you go other places, simply because you're an American, there may be people who look at you in a certain way. Or people who come from another country are here. There are people who look at us in a certain way. Because we are in a group called Christians or in a church, there may be some suffering that happens. And we certainly see that throughout the world. There is um, discipline suffering. And this is suffering that happens because there's corrective action that needs to take place. Um, you know, I remember my dad telling me, this is going to hurt me worse than it hurts you. And I can guarantee you it didn't. Um, my dad uh, was a police officer and his belts were always about three inches wide. And you could feel them. There's that corrective discipline that we face in life. Sometimes God does it to us. Sometimes other people do it to us. Um, but there is that discipline type of suffering. Persecution suffering. This is when, uh, for the sake of Christ, those who are opposed to Christ uh, cause suffering in your life. This is certainly what we see in Paul and Barnabas. It's what we see in, in the lives of many uh, people right now in, in India and Pakistan. And the latest country is Nepal that just passed laws that basically are, are banning what they're called proselytizing or evangelizing. Uh, you can't convert from Hinduism to another faith. That is against the law. And anybody who they feel has caused that is now uh, subject to arrest. And, there's, and then there's all this stuff that's taking place that's not government sanctioned, but the government's just kind of overlooking it in countries like that. And Myanmar is another country where we're having the same thing. Listen, this is happening all over the world. Just because we don't feel it here doesn't mean it isn't happening. There's persecution, suffering. Probably the worst that happens to us is somebody might laugh at us or tease us for accepting Christ, following Christ, being faithful to Christ, things that we won't do because our values have been shaped by Christ. But that's about the worst we get. But there are people all over the world who are truly, truly, truly suffering persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. There's empathetic suffering, and that means you hurt because someone else hurts. Some of you, we didn't have, this didn't come to us early enough to get it out in a mass email to the church, but some of you who follow us on faith, Facebook saw that Pastor Alberto, our Haitian friend in the Dominican Republic, he's a pastor there. We've talked about him perhaps before. You may have heard about him. Anyway, they discovered a, a massive tumor uh, in his intestines, and uh, they went in to do surgery, and um, he, they basically said, they're, they're, we can't get this out, it's metastasized. And so they basically just rerouted his bowels just to give him some relief during this time. And we look at that, and there's suffering that he is facing, and there's suffering that his family and anybody who loves him faces because we are empathetic. We see that, and it hurts us. We hurt along with other people. And... Um, then there's providential suffering, and that is God's up to something, and we just don't see it, but it, it hurts. We just don't know what he's up to. Uh, akin to that is mysterious suffering, and this may not be providential, but we still don't know what it is. We don't know why we're hurting. We don't know if God's up to something, or Satan's up to something, or people are up to something, but it still hurts. There's consequential suffering. Consequential suffering is, okay, you're about to get what you deserve. This is the self-inflicted wounds that we talked about. And many of us suffer because of self-inflicted wounds. And we carry with us those scars because of those self-inflicted wounds. And then finally, there's apocalyptic suffering. Boy, doesn't that sound like something? 
We go from Adamic at the beginning to apocalyptic at the end, and that is because of the end times, there will be some suffering. There are people that believe that the Christians are going to be yanked out of this world in the rapture before the great tribulation takes place, but I'm not so certain that that's exactly what's going to happen. We need to be prepared because we may be here for at least a portion of that great tribulation, and we need to be prepared to suffer Whatever's taking place during that time, that apocalyptic time. All right, that's a lot, and I know I'm sorry, but I wanted you to see that suffering comes in more flavors than Baskin-Robbins has. And you and I, we, we, we know it because we live it. The suffering could simply be from stubbing your toe, but there's pain that goes along with that. But you need to understand this, this is part of life. This is part of who we live. But here's what I want you to know. Your suffering does not define you. Your suffering isn't what defines you. You are not your suffering. You may be suffering, but that is not what defines you. What does define you? What defines you is who you are in Christ. You are grounded in and you are shaped by your relationship with Jesus. And Colossians reminds us over and over again of our location. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. That is what defines us. You are not simply a bucket of suffering. You are not simply a hot mess. You are in Christ. That defines you. And I know many of you wake up every day and you have pain, physical pain, chronic pain in your body. Some of you wake up and your suffering is different. You wake up and and you are suffering because of self-inflicted wounds, things that you've done, and the guilt continues to tumble down on you and people continue to point fingers at you and accuse you. And that's suffering. And some of you may be suffering simply because you have no idea what's going on. You, you're, you're filled with anxiety and worry over tomorrow. You're filled with anxiety and worry over your finances. You're filled with anxiety and worry over your housing situation, over relationships in your life. Listen, we all suffer to some measure, but you are not just a bundle of suffering. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are in Christ and that defines you. Your suffering doesn't define you and your suffering, listen to me, it isn't forever. Your suffering isn't forever. 1 Peter 1.6 reminds us that we suffer for a little while. For a little while. Now, honestly, it doesn't feel like that. When you're suffering, sometimes it feels like it's going on and on and on forever. And can I just be honest with you? Your suffering can last for your entire lifetime. Now, I know this is not popular. This doesn't sell well on TV. On TV, what they're going to tell you is, hey, you're suffering now, but it's always dark. It's just before the dawn. 
right around the corner, God's got something beautiful for you. He's going to take away all that suffering and he's going to, he's going to replace all that suffering. And you know what? He might, but he might not. Listen, you read through scriptures and you read through them very, very carefully. And you don't see a lot of pie in the sky, rainbow promises that are given by the writers of the New Testament. Oh yeah, they're there, but they're not necessarily for this lifetime. Some people go through their entire life suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there are no joys. It doesn't mean there's, there's no happiness. It doesn't mean there, there's no sunshine and it's all darkness. I'm not saying that. But let me go back to Pastor Alberto. You need to understand when we talk about pastor, when you think of a pastor right now, you may be thinking about Jimmy Long. You may be thinking of the pastor you grew up with. Well, let me tell you, a guy named Alberto who was an who was he's probably an illegal immigrant and I don't know uh, he's Haitian and he is in the Dominican Republic and, and if you think that here in the United States that there's animosity towards immigrants go to the Dominican Republic and ask them what they think about Haitians they were there they were brought in to work but they um, if you go to these Haitian bates and 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 Pastor Alberto lives in Bate Seven. And I've been there. And it is, you could rank it among the poorest places in the world. Now, there's some places in Haiti that are worse. But I'm telling you, you walk through that village, dirt streets, homes that are, there's some that are, that are blocked, certainly. But many of those homes are nothing but shells. And they use the bark off of coconut trees to, to coat the walls. They've got tin roofs that can't keep out the rain. Nobody's got indoor plumbing. Nobody's got indoor water. There are animals running around everywhere. You can't, listen, we were warned, don't, if you're wearing shorts, don't kneel on the ground. Don't put your hands on the ground. Why? Because the ground is contaminated with all kinds of feces. There's all kinds of disease going on around there. They're bathing. There's a canal that runs through there, an irrigation canal. That's where they bathe. That's where they get water. That's where they go to cool off when it gets hot. I'm telling you, folks, this is a bad place to live. You and I wouldn't survive a week. And there they are. They live in that. Pastor Alberto lives in that. And just down the street from him and now... Uh, praise God, it's gone. It burned to the ground. But there's a witch doctor's compound that was just down the street from where he was. I'm telling you, this man, his, his, he tried to be faithful. He made pennies. I'm literally pennies. He, had, he worked on the side doing construction and things like that just to make ends meet to support not only kids but grandkids who were living in his home. He had three rooms and about 13 people. And when I say rooms, I'm not talking about rooms in your house. Maybe closets in your house. You go down to the Bate 7 and you tell them the stuff that some of these TV preachers preach. It might sell here, but it won't sell there. Sometimes life is one measure of suffering after another measuring of suffering after another measuring of suffering after another measuring of suffering. 
It's not there aren't sunshine. It's not there aren't victories. It's not there isn't hope. It's not there isn't joy. It's just not like you and I are thinking of it. All right, I say all that because I want you to understand this. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. And if you're only going to be faithful to God, if God bails you out, then that's no different than a Hindu going to the temple and praying to this God. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he goes to this God. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he goes to this God. And if he doesn't get what he wants, he goes to this God. Look through the Old Testament. That's exactly what they were doing. They said, hey, God's not being good enough to us right now, so we're going to go to Baal. We're going to go to Ashtoreth. We're going to go to this goddess. We're going to go to that God, and we're going to abandon the God. Listen, I want to tell you, in the midst of your suffering, hold on to the one true God we sang about this morning. He is the only one that can sustain you, sustain you, the only one who can lift you up. But listen, I want to tell you, though, your suffering isn't forever, and the Bible tells us this. I'm going to read a, a little bit more in 1 Peter. I hadn't planned to do this until last night, but I just wanted you to hear this. In 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 3, here's what he writes. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though for now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the testing so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, attaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hey, listen, for some people, for some people, the suffering won't be over until they see Jesus face to face. And you need to understand that. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't lose heart. It's worth it. Even if you have a lifetime of suffering, it's worth it. And even now, as Pastor Alberto is there, perhaps still in the hospital, I'm assuming he is, he would tell you the same thing. It's worth it. What's stored for us up in heaven, the inheritance that we have waiting for us in heaven, is worth whatever we have to endure on this earth. All right. Let me go on. Uh, we're going to wrap this up and land this plane. For those of you who've suffered, your pain has cost you something and it will continue primarily to cost you. It may cost you a lot. So I want to encourage you not to let your suffering go to waste. Don't let your suffering go to waste. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. We rejoice 
in our sufferings. Well, that's just stupid, right? Did did I just read that? We rejoice in our sufferings. And how could he write something like that? Well, he tells us how he can write it. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Listen, we're going to suffer. Don't let it go to waste. Don't let your suffering make you become bitter. There are people who've walked with Jesus for a long, long time and they've known suffering in their lives but they haven't been able to process it well. And it's turned them into angry, bitter people that you don't want to be around. You, you avoid those people like the plague. That bitterness doesn't belong there. That bitterness is an inappropriate response to the suffering that we have. We need to understand that God can even use our suffering. In fact, he will use our suffering to bring glory to him and to bring people to him, if we will allow that to take place. Suffering is an opportunity for us and for others to see God at work in us and through us. When we find our comfort in the Lord, and ultimately, that's how Paul and Barnabas and Alberto and people like him can endure this, because they found their comfort in something other than than physical comfort. They found their comfort in the Lord. And when we find our comfort in the Lord, when He becomes the the balm of Gilead, when He becomes that salve that soothes our suffering, then we, we become able then to comfort others. It's exactly what Scripture tells us to do, that we're to comfort others with the same comfort with which we have been comforted. I preached a few funerals in my first church. I'd never done that before. I mean, I practiced them in seminary. I wrote them out in cemetery. cemetery. Now I'm following Lem Clark in seminary. But I'd never had to do them before. Boy, I clung to my pastor's manual, the same, same kind I Dave gave uh, to Dave Chronic. I, 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 I clung to that thing, and I, I did the very best I could to go through it. But a few years after we got to Bethel, my dad had a heart attack, and shortly after that, he was diagnosed with lung cancer, and it had metastasized. And there was no surgery to be had. Just chemo. And chemo was its own kind of suffering. And I watched this man. I watched this man who was so strong. Who was a a rock.
I watched him shrivel up. And I watched the cancer and the chemo and the radiation make him small. The last thing that I remember him physically being able to do was to come over to our house. It was We lived in the parsonage there in Bethel and um, we, we, they'd agreed to let us uh, paint the nursery and my dad came over to help me put up the wallpaper border right because wallpaper borders at that time were pretty popular right you know kind of as the chair rail height to put that wallpaper border up around the wall and I wanted to make sure I got it right and and he would do it and so uh, we put up that wallpaper border and I'd have to go over and I'd have to help my dad get up off his knees and I'd have to go over and help roll him over in the bed later. And we've got a picture we took one Christmas. I look at him, I go, that's not my dad. That's not the man I knew growing up. And when he died, my mom asked if I could say anything at the funeral. I couldn't say anything. I just, I, I, just, I just need to be part of the family. I need to be ministered to. I'll tell you all this because you've lost people you love and you know how it hurts. But I never preached another funeral the same way again. And I never went to the hospital room of someone whose dad or mom or husband, or wife, was laying in the hospital bed. I never went there the same man again. Because my suffering had made me better able to empathize with other people. And the comfort that I had received from God, I was now able to share with others. This is a fallen world in which we live. God didn't design it like this. We made it this. And because it's a fallen world, there will be suffering. But how we suffer, it matters. People are watching how you suffer. Because they want to know if this Jesus that you talk about, they want to know if he's real. They want to know if when you're walking in the darkest valley of your life, they want to know if this Jesus that you talk about is walking with you. They want to know if they can rely on him too. If he will walk in that valley with them. In this world, you will have tribulation and trouble. Jesus said, hey, listen, cheer up. I've overcome the world. And in Jesus Christ, we share in that victory. 
Well, we have come to the end of the introduction of my sermon. Which begins next Sunday. I want to tell you this morning... If you're suffering, don't give up. Don't lose heart. We have a helper. God's word says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, a lot of people think that God's going to come and riding over the mountain like the cavalry in the old uh, black and white westerns, the cavalry's coming over the hill to the rescue. I don't honestly think that's what that means. Because all around Jerusalem, there are hills everywhere, all around Jerusalem, in every high place, pagans built altars to false gods. And as David lifted his eyes up to the hills, what he would see are these little ribbons of smoke rising up. Why? Because all around him, there were people praying to false gods. And so David says, I look up at the hills. Those people are looking for help from their false gods. Where does my help come from? My help doesn't come from Baal. My help doesn't come from Ashtoreth. My help doesn't come from any of these false gods. My help comes from the Lord. And I got to tell you, I have a God who made the heavens and the earth. And that's a God who can help me right now. Some of you may need that God this morning. You came in here suffering, but you've got nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. I want to tell you, there's a God who loves you, who wants to bring comfort in your life. And he may not yank you out of that pit you're in, but he'll climb in there with you. And you may need a church home of people who can love you, come around you. If God's calling you to receive His Son, Jesus, as Savior, today's a day. If God's calling you to be a part of this church family, today's a day. Why put it off? Why let it linger? Why, why wait to hell another day? If God's calling you today, you come. But there's some of you here who come with a heavy load of suffering. And maybe you just want to come and use these steps as an altar, a place where you can lay it down, a place where you can come and say, okay, God, I need, I'm at the end of my rope. I, I just need you to hold on to me because I can't hold on anymore. And here's what you'll find. You have a God who's faithful and who won't let you fall. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. It is a challenging word, and yet uh, it is one that brings us some measure of comfort because you're in it. And so, Lord, I want to ask that you just do a powerful work this morning as you draw people to yourself through your son Jesus, as you draw people into your church family, or as, Lord, you just meet people at this on these steps, meet people at this altar so that they might find comfort and peace and hope in you. 
Lord, this is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus.